0: Good morning, church family. My name is Nate, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you uh, have a quick second, go ahead and grab your Bible and your journal. We are going to be jumping into a new series this morning, uh, studying the book of Ruth. And so if you're not familiar with your Bible, that's totally fine. We're going to be uh, in the Old Testament. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. You're eight uh, eighth book of the Old Testament. If you could flip there, make your way there. Um, as we're diving in, you just heard a powerful testimony of uh, of a, a dear friend uh, and a family member at Redemption and how God has taken broken, hard things and made him beautiful and how he's redeeming some of the hardship of life and the suffering and um, and so it is so timely for us to be in this book this morning as we jump into a story, as we jump into a story that this morning we're going to sit in the hardship a little bit. This morning we're going to uh, be looking at uh, how Ruth's story begins out of pain, out of hurt and suffering. And so this morning, I've kind of titled the, the sermon that this morning, The, the Reality of brokenness, how the brokenness of life is, it's real. And in our time, in our culture today, it is so fitting that we would be studying this, uh, this book and, and talking about how do we suffer and endure and watch what God can do when he takes broken things and makes them beautiful. As we're diving into the story of Ruth, a couple of things to know off the bat. Um, First off, Ruth is a Moabite woman. We'll see that here in a little bit. Um, And the book is named after her and her legacy and her lineage is going to become unbelievably important. As in, in the book of Matthew in the New Testament, Jesus actually, we see credits her, that his lineage, his legacy flows through this woman that this book is named after. So from this young woman, we ultimately end up with our Savior, our Lord, our King, Jesus. And so we celebrate Ruth. Um, not only that, though, but Ruth is a story. It's a narrative. And so the author of Ruth, who we don't really know, we suspect it's somebody who came after the life of David, um, the, the author wants to draw us in to this story. He wants to captivate us. He's going to give us characters and plot twists and peaks and valleys, and he really wants to, to draw us in, to the edge of our seat so that we um, are eagerly anticipating what's going to happen next in this story. But ultimately, kind of the sub-tagline for this series is how God wants to take uh, broken things and make them beautiful, or that Ruth is the story of from broken to beautiful. And we're going to see throughout this story that God is very active and present in the hardships of life. And so as we talk about What does it mean, the reality of brokenness? It's important to note two things at the onset, that um, God is present in our pain. We may not always see him present in the book of Ruth. The author doesn't always explicitly say, God showed up and did this. But we're going to see through the art of subtlety, God is at work. God is moving. God is active and powerful and present in the hardship, in the pain, in the brokenness, And then secondly, um, I think it's important at the onset, as we're talking about God taking broken things and making them beautiful, to acknowledge that what we're not saying is that God is at work taking all things in this life that are broken and getting rid of all pain, all suffering, all hardship in this life, that as followers of Jesus, we know we will suffer, we will have hardship. But when Jesus enters in to the center of the story and it's about him, Romans 8 says that he works all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so was it? Is it always easy? Is it always pleasant? Of course not. That's why there's brokenness and our eyes are fixed forward to our coming king and that we have a great hope and anticipation of Jesus's return. And so we're not saying... That when we fix our eyes on Jesus, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no hardship. But rather, Jesus gives us a new perspective and a new heart and a new way to view the brokenness in this life. Um, and, And so the reality of brokenness is it exists. And again, I think it's so timely for us to be studying this book. And uh, the author is going to start out, we're going to make our way through the first five verses this morning. Um, and the first thing we're going to see that the author of Ruth does is he establishes the brokenness in this story. Um, and we see it right away in verse one. We'll kind of take our way through here as he's establishing the scene. He's setting the narrative up so that we know the story that God is up to. Um, it starts out in the day when Judges Ruled. Uh, let's just pause right there for a second and talk about how, um, how, how. Where is this story taking place? It's taking place during the time of Jud, the Judges. If you have your Bible out, you will see if you just look in my Bible, one page to the left, that the book that precedes this is the book of Judges. Judges is this in-between time where Moses and Joshua. Are gone. They've passed away. They've died, and they are anticipating. They're waiting for what's next, and so they have these judges, these governors who are ruling and giving them um, direction. But they've not yet reached what's coming next. Will be a monarchy where we'll have kings like Saul and David and Solomon, and so it's this weird in between period for the people of God for Israel, where they've they're they're waiting. And they find themselves ruled by these judges. And if you read through and study through the book of Judges, you find this very interesting pattern where um, the people of God wander away. They start walking in disobedience. Things go very poorly. They cry out to God and then God delivers them. And it's just this roller coaster. And it's so often repeated throughout the book of uh, Judges that the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That when there's... Um, when there's a gap in leadership and you can't trust your leaders and they've the israelites have had moses and joshua and just phenomenal leadership and now there's this this political crisis that's going on as the author is is establishing the brokenness he's showing that there's a political crisis in this time of the judges where where they're doing what is evil in the sight of the lord where they're they're not walking in obedience and it's it's just a politically Tense time for God's people. I wonder if there's anything we could sift from the Book of Ruth if, if walking through and studying a book during a politically tense season might have any timely application for us. This is why I love studying books of the Bible, and it's so cool to me to see God's sovereignty at work. As months ago we we laid out that today we would be starting the Book of Ruth, having no clue the crisis. Politically that we would be in, globally, the crisis that we would be walking through right now. We had no idea, and yet God has seen fit for today, us to start in this story. And so they're in the midst of a political crisis in this in-between time. But not only is there a political crisis, we see there's an economical crisis that is hitting God's people. As the author continues saying that there was a famine in the land. This is an agrarian society. These are a people that live literally off the land, and so they grow their own food. They would sell their food to be able to provide for their families. And so if there's no food, there's nothing to eat, and there's no money, there's no bank, There's no. they need the crops to come in to be able to provide for their animals and their family. And so a famine hitting the land was devastating. And so there is a very real economic crisis as the author is establishing the brokenness that is present at the beginning of this story. We see that the people are growing desperate. And this desperation is birthed out of their disobedience. Because if we go back and study the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses is kind of wrapping up, he's giving kind of his farewell address. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books. In Deuteronomy 28, He warns the people that if you walk in disobedience, that God will bring a famine, God will bring um, punishment, there will be drought, there will be hardship and suffering, that that sin has very real consequences. And so we see these consequences being played out, and there's an economical crisis taking place that is going to result then in a spiritual crisis in uh, the rest of, verse, uh, the, uh, the next part of verse one says that a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. And so this, the author of Ruth is setting up that there's a political crisis and an economic crisis that is going to result when the people can't trust their leaders and the people can't trust their bank accounts, they have a very real crisis of faith. And we see that happen here. And again, God is at work in this story subtly. Underneath. We've got to do a little bit of digging here. And so these places that the author gives us are extremely significant. He says that he's a man of Bethlehem in Judah. Judah was the largest tribe, the most revered clan in Israel, and so there's a religious kind of swagger to being from Judah. But then they're also from Bethlehem. This word this this name literally means house of bread, and so there's some irony here that that this man, who we haven't yet got to his name, has to leave the house of bread to go search for food and finances. Because of their disobedience, because of the economic and the political crisis, he's now going to, to leave the house of bread and he's going to go to Moab. Well, why is it significant and spiritual that he would leave to go to Moab? Moab, the Moabites are a result they are a people group and a clan that God literally instructed the Israelites to not commingle with. They were pagan idolaters. They followed after the false God of Kemosh. And, and they're a result. They are a people that exist because of Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughter. And so if you go back and study the book of Genesis and look at Abraham and his and Lot, Lot had an incestuous relationship with his daughter that resulted in this people group. And God said, do not spend time with them. They follow false gods. It will go bad for you if you follow after them, if you commingle mingle with them, if you cohabitate with them. Their gods will become your gods. You will fall into disobedience. And we see here that because of the, the economy and the hardship and the brokenness that, that they're e- experiencing in Bethlehem, And in Judah, he's willing to forsake the community of God's people to go after food and finances. We see that he's he's willing to basically say, God, I'm going to take this into my own hands and I'm going to go find provision elsewhere. And so there's a very real spiritual crisis that is birthed out of an economic and political crisis. Again, I wonder and is there anything that could be more timely for us to walk through in light of our current situation, in light of our current po- uh, political scene, our current economic scene? Man, God wants to protect us from having a spiritual crisis. And then lastly, we see that there's a personal crisis that comes out as the author is setting up and he's Setting up the brokenness. He's establishing the brokenness. We finally get the names of some of the characters in our story. It says that he has a wife and two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife is Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. So God's starting to give identity to these characters. These, These people in this story matter deeply. And so I think it's important to know what some of their names mean. That Elimelech, the patriarch of the family, he's decided, I'm going to take this on myself. It's rough at home. I don't have enough food on the table. And so I've got to be a man. I'm going to handle this. And so he packs up. He doesn't just go by himself. He packs up his family and takes his family into disobedience. And his name literally means, my God is king. And so again, I see a bunch of irony here that the author wants us to understand that this man whose name means my God is king is not living up to his name. He doesn't believe that God is king anymore because in the result, in, in the midst of brokenness, he's going to wander and say, God, I'm gonna take care of this myself. I'll do it. I'll take care of it. And then his wife's name, Naomi, means pleasant. And as our story progresses this morning, we're going to see that do to her husband's leadership, and due to the circumstances that they find themselves caught in, she cannot live up to her name either. That it is so hard for her to find a pleasant life that just, it it just continues to be hard, that suffering and the brokenness is real. And then finally we get that they have some blessing, some provision from the Lord that in this day and age, Children were viewed as God's hand, God's favor, God's blessing, and they have two sons, and this would have been very, um, very important, very significant for them culturally, yet they name their kids Melon and Kilion. Their names literally mean sick and dying. So if you're searching through the big book of baby names this weekend, and you're you're, you're about to have a baby, I would suggest Maybe not those two names. Just going to throw that out there. Elimelech is a cool name. I'd love it if our nursery had an Elimelech in it, but maybe not a Malon or a Kilion. Sick and dying don't seem like great baby names, um, but that's just me. Um, and then we get told that they're Ephrathites from Bethlehem. Some more lineage, some more um, insight into where they're from. But there's a family crisis that has resulted from a spiritual crisis. And for just a moment, I just want to speak to the men, for for the dads, the husbands, uh, future dads, future husbands. I think it's so important that we would take our role as the spiritual leaders of our families seriously. Elimelech decides he's going to handle this on his own. And it's broken and it's bad and it doesn't go well. And we're going to continue to see that unfold. And so I feel like we need to take the spiritual leadership of our homes seriously because his family follows. And we're going to see that not only has the author established brokenness, but next we're going to see that Naomi and her family is going to have to endure the brokenness of this world Um, And we see this pick up in verse 3 as they've they've sought refuge and safety and provision in a foreign land. And verse 3, things go from bad to worse. It says, but Elimelech, the husband, Naomi's husband died. He took them out of God's community, out of being able to worship in the temple and offer sacrifices and being surrounded by God's people and God's economy. And he took them into a foreign land. And rather than things getting better, they got worse. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you feel like no matter what decision you make, it just kind of seems to amplify and make things harder, make things more difficult. Several years ago, my wife and I had um had the opportunity we bought our first house my son was 3 years old all of our friends were buying homes we wanted to kind of keep up with everybody else and and be like our friend group that we were a part of and this was just before 2008 um and so the bank lent us a ton of money that they shouldn't have lent it up, lent us and um and we bought this house that we couldn't afford and the payments just kind of kept kept creeping up Every year our payments got a little bit more expensive and a little bit more expensive. And then God kind of reorganized our family structure and we found ourselves living off one income and really, really struggling. And so I called my bank and I said, could you help us out? Our interest rates were through the roof and the 08 housing crisis had hit and the, the interest rates had dropped a ton. And I was like, could you please help us? And they gave us some things to do. And every step along the way, No matter what we did, when they said, well, we really need you to stop making your mortgage payments, that'll really help you out. That's terrible advice. And it it ended up with, oh, well, now you haven't made your mortgage payments, and so you can't stay in your house, so we're going to short sell your house, and oh, by the way, your credit's shot, and oh, by the way, you can't even uh, get a car loan. And it was like every decision we made just made things worse, and we just felt like we were stuck. In this crazy cycle where no matter what we did, we suffered. It just always felt like the wrong decision. And that's kind of what we see here is they've made a bad decision. And now bad decisions are going from bad to worse. And so much worse than losing a house. So much worse than a bad credit score. Naomi has lost her husband. Naomi has experienced pain and suffering. But we see this interesting role reversal. As earlier, it said that Naomi is the wife of Elimelech. But here in verse 3, the author is switching things around and saying, well, Elimelech is Naomi's husband. There's this reversal going on, and the author is letting us know that Naomi's going to play a huge part in this story. She's a significant character in this story. And so she's enduring the brokenness of their, their, of their decisions and enduring death. But not only that, we see in the rest of verse 3 that she was left with her two sons. There's still this, this hope, this glimmer of hope where they're trying, this family that has experienced brokenness and the reality of the pain and suffering of life, they're trying to handle it on their own. They're trying to get through it. And there's still kind of this sense of, okay, I've lost my husband and that's so painful and that's so hard, but you know what? I've got two boys and you know, they'll get married. They'll provide me with grandkids. They'll take care of me. There's 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 gonna be provision. We still can handle this. That's kind of the the sense that I get from the end of this verse is that it's still gonna be okay. They can still take care of it on their own. But we go on to see that in the midst of this, this pride, in the midst of this hope that they can handle it, that God doesn't have to be king. They can take care of this crisis on their own, that they start enduring and really growing comfortable in rebellion. In verse four, it says these, speaking of uh, Malon and Kilion, took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there about 10 years. Years. This story started out saying they were just going to go visit or so or sojourn into Moab, but life hit hard. They grew comfortable in their rebellion. They knew they weren't supposed to go there. They knew they weren't supposed to stay there. They weren't supposed to 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 cohabitate with this people group, but they grew comfortable in their rebellion. And as they grew comfortable in their rebellion, they find themselves. Taking wives. That language is significant. It has this idea of taking what you shouldn't for yourself. These are not legitimate marriages in the, in the eyes of the Lord. These are not, um, these are not the way that He ordained. He had outlawed marrying outside of the household of faith. And they're saying, nope, we're going to do this our way. So we're going to take these Moabite wives. And then again, let's remember that in this story, God is at work subtly beneath the surface. And so we see here the two names, Orpah and Ruth, we could kind of guess to be what their names mean, but the important thing here is to say that they live there 10 years, and there's no mention of offspring, no mention of children. And as we'll see throughout this journey, throughout this story, God is very much in control, and he opens and closes Ruth's womb. And here her womb is closed. They do not have any children after being married for 10 years and living in this foreign country, growing very comfortable in their rebellion. And again, if we go back to Deuteronomy, we see that this is judgment for their rebellion, that God is is involved and active even in their rebellion and that he won't bless these unions with children. He's, He's still here. He's still moving and they've grown comfortable in their rebellion. They've grown comfortable in this foreign land, so much so that I think they don't even notice that they've wandered so far from God. And then lastly, as if things couldn't get any worse in the reality of the brokenness of this life, there is an enduring hopelessness. In verse 5, it says both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. This is tragic. This is suffering. Our story has hit rock bottom. There's so much brokenness and so much pain being experienced here by Naomi, by Orpa, and Ruth. They find themselves now without, there's no more glimmer of we've got control of this. Naomi could have clung to, my sons will take care of me. Maybe one day I'll have grandchildren. Maybe one day God will redeem and this will work out. And now it seems like there's no more hope. There's nowhere left to turn. And my question for you this morning is what would your response be to a seemingly hopeless situation? What would you do? How would you respond? We'll look at Naomi's response next week, but for right now, I want us to evaluate the brokenness, not just in this story, but in our own story, as we find ourselves in a very, uh, a very tense, very broken situation in, in our city, in our state, in our country, and around the world. There's a political crisis and an economic crisis that could very much lead to a spiritual and family crisis. And so what is our hope going to be in? How are we going to evaluate the brokenness and handle the brokenness that we find ourselves in, much like Naomi and Ruth did? You know, last week was, was Easter Sunday and a few days before Easter Sunday we celebrated Good Friday and we, uh, we shot some videos and some were released on Facebook or we compiled them all into one big long video that got emailed out. And if you saw and kind of sat with some of those videos on Good Friday, we really wanted to walk through the hardship and the pain and the brokenness of Good Friday that, that Jesus was was brought up on charges and tried as a criminal, that he was beaten and tortured, that he had a crown of thorns shoved into his head, that he was crucified like a common criminal, that he was buried in a tomb. And that day is a very heavy day. There's a lot of pain and suffering. But the reason we're able to celebrate Good Friday and we're able to sit with that pain and that brokenness of the Lamb of God slain, was that we know Easter's coming and the tomb will be empty. And so that pain and that brokenness is not the end of the story, but the beginning. There is a hope, even when it seems hopeless, because we know something out, that God is still at work and God's got something planned. And so what I want us to do this morning is we're going to end a little bit. We're going to end in the hardship. We're going to pause on our story where it seems hopeless. But what I want us to know is this is the beginning of Ruth's story. There is beautiful things coming to Naomi and Ruth. And just like we can look at Good Friday and say, this is hard and this is painful and there are tears and there is suffering, but we know God's got something big planned. That that the pain points in our life, the brokenness in our story, the reality that life is hard and it hurts sometimes doesn't have to be the end, but it gets to be the beginning of where God enters in and he becomes the center of our story. And he takes those broken things and he makes them beautiful. Because we put Jesus in at the center. Now there's purpose to our pain. Now there's hope in our hardship. And so I've got a few questions. I would just encourage you this week, um, whether it's in your regroup or with your spouse and your family, or even just with your journal, that you would spend some time journaling and reflecting on a few questions as we evaluate and look at the brokenness that we are experiencing. First off, do we walk through the brokenness of life by faith or by fear? Elimelech saw the crisis, saw the brokenness, and I believe he operated out of fear. He said, I'm going to take care of this. I can't trust you, God. I can't have faith that you're going to be there for me, and so I'll handle it. We very much could operate in the same way in our current economy, in our current situations. We could say, God, I'm too scared to trust you. I'm going to take care of it. And so how are you walking through the brokenness of life? Are you walking through it with faith, That Jesus is on his throne and he is not surprised by anything we're battling, anything we're facing right now, or by fear. Secondly, where are the places in our lives that we have grown comfortable in rebellion? We see that Naomi and Malon and Kilion had grown comfortable. They took wives. They knew that was against the law. They lived there for 10 years. They got very comfortable living far from God. And if we're not careful, we can grow comfortable in our own sin and our own rebellion. And so what I encourage you is to sift your heart, search your mind and say, Lord, show me, give me eyes to see where I am comfortable living far from you. And then you would repent and come back to him that you would confess and that you would just wash, allow, his, allow forgiveness to just wash over you. The grace of Christ that we find at the cross would just cover you white as snow, but look for those areas where you're living in comfortable rebellion. Thirdly, what do you turn to when life feels hopeless? It can be very easy in our current struggle, in our current brokenness and in situations, to feel kind of hopeless, to feel trapped. Where are you turning to? Are you turning to God's word and prayer? Are you pressing in to Jesus? Or are you seeking to escape hopelessness through going to the refrigerator another time or binge watching another series on Netflix or falling and climbing into a bottle of some kind? There's all sorts of ways that we can deal with the sense of hopelessness. Where and what are you turning to? Jesus came and lived the life we couldn't live to die the death we should have died so that we could have a broken relationship with God made beautiful and that we could turn in our hopelessness to him and not to other things. So I'd encourage you to look at your life and say, where am I turning to in a hopeless situation? And then finally, how can we walk through brokenness knowing that that's not the end of our story? How can we allow our pain not to identify us, but rather to spur us on to say, God, I want to see how you're living and active, even in the hardship, even in the pain points. God, you have a purpose. And Jesus, when you're at the center, you enter into those broken points and you allow them to bring you glory and grow my faith. And so how are you viewing your brokenness, not as the end, but as the beginning? So what I'm gonna encourage you to do is I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna transition into a time of worship. And if, you're, if your faith is in Christ, if your identity is rooted in Jesus and what he did on the cross and the fact that the tomb stands empty, I want you wherever you're watching this to worship our great God and King who has taken broken things and made them beautiful. But this morning, if you're watching this and your faith is not in Christ, he can't take other things and make them beautiful until he started with your heart. And so my hope and my prayer and my plea with you would be to start with what is of the utmost importance. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and allow him to take your severed, sinful, broken relationship with God the Father and make it beautiful through his saving act of laying down his life on the cross. That's where it starts. And then from there, allow his spirit to inform how he can rework and redeem all the other pain points in life. And so church, this is just the beginning of Ruth. I'm excited to journey through this as we watch God take broken things and make them beautiful. Will you pray with me?